2016 Small Business Awards on 702 with Sage One. Online, smartphone, DSTV channel 856 and on 92.7 and 106 FM. This is 702. 17 after 5. So hundreds of mine workers, political and religious leaders... Uh, have uh, spent the afternoon in the northwest uh, platinum mine town in Lonmin in Maragana today, paying tribute to those who died during the violent wage protest in 2012. A total of 44 people were killed, remember, 34 of them by police, in an operation that has been highly criticized. Um, but on the other hand, Amnesty International is pointing a finger of blame at Lonmin, and they've issued a hard-hitting report in which they say Lonmin has failed to improve appalling housing conditions for thousands of workers there. On the line to discuss this issue for, with us, we are joined by Audrey Gonren, who is a senior director for global issues at Amnesty International. Hi, Audrey. Afternoon. Thank you for your time. But also on the other line, I've got Happy Goma, who is the spokesperson for Lonmin. Happy, good to talk to you. Uh, good afternoon, uh, Mr. Gwalan. Good afternoon to your listeners. No, thanks indeed for your time. Audrey, let me start with you. Hard-hitting report. Give us the basics. How have you been able to, one, compile this report, and what does it say? Well, the, the main point in the report is that thousands of London's workers are living in appalling housing conditions. I mean, you wouldn't even call them houses. There are shacks around the mine site that are built of bits of tin and zinc, um, bits of wood, no proper toilets, no proper running water, um, really difficult conditions, especially for men who have to go underground, work in very difficult jobs, and then they come and live in this appallingly squalid accommodation. And Lonman has known about this for years. It promised to build 5,500 houses. It built three. It finally converted its hostels. <clears throat> and 5,000 people living in the hostels lost their accommodation. Lonman didn't provide them with an alternative because it didn't build houses. And when we look at what Lonman has said about the situation, we find it has said things that are completely false or completely misleading. So we're very concerned that Lonman simply has done nothing meaningful to address the housing situation around Maracana. All right, let me pick up on what you say are false and misleading things before I get to Mr. Nkoma. What are those things? What have they said that you consider to be false and misleading? Well, for example, when you look at their excuses for why they didn't build these 5,500 houses, and this was a a legally binding obligation on them under their social labor plans, which they reneged on unilaterally, they said things like, we didn't have enough land. Yes, they did. They had land for at least 2,000 houses. They didn't have service land. But if you look at another statement, they did have service land, and they they said that themselves. They've also used as an excuse that the workers don't want to buy houses at Maracana. Now, many of the workers are migrant workers from the Eastern Cape were listening to a Mozambique, so it's natural they wouldn't want to buy a house in Maracana. Um, but Lonman had promised to, to build houses that were for rental as well as home ownership. So we just see them constantly evolving their excuses, and I'm sure your, your um, guest from Lonman will now say that they've done, they're planning to build apartments, they're planning to build houses, but Lonman's been planning to do things for a decade and has actually done nothing. I'm going to come to him shortly. I just want to go back to the first issue that you raised of shacks, not proper toilets, etc. Um, Lonmin Lon might turn around and say, actually, the housing problem is not just unique to Maracana. It's a national issue. Why are you pointing a, blame, a finger of blame at us? Well, first of all, we're not asking Lonmin to solve a national problem, and that does just go to the, the 
um, doorstep of the government. But Lonmen needs a workforce to come and work around its mine site. It needs migrant workers, as do most mine companies in South Africa. And the mining industry is heavily dependent on migrant workers. My, all mine companies need mine workers to come to a site, live close by the site, and often work shift work. And they are therefore responsible for ensuring that those employees have access to adequate housing. Uh, and this is something other mine companies would accept. So Lonmin, we're not asking them to solve all of the problems. We're saying you have a workforce that needs to have adequate accommodation, and that is your responsibility, and you've been around for 100 years. So starting to look like, talk about this as if it were a new problem or insurmountable is a little bit ridiculous for a mine company that's been operating for 100 years. Mr. Ngoma, it is a hard-hitting report, and you would have heard Audrey saying, of course, some of the issues there. How do you respond as, Mar- as Lonmin? Um, first, I would like to acknowledge that um, institutions like Amnesty International are very important because they actually held uh, institutions like ours in check and governments in check. But I think a lot of their information is a bit outdated. And um, they, they, there was truth. We set up three show houses to see if employees will take them up. They were not interested in those houses. We had to go back to the drawing board. Um, we are not planning. We have done what we have said we are going to do. The first thing that we said we are going to do was we were going to convert our hostels into from now you can't run with the foxes and hunt with the hounds in the sense that we had apartheid style hostels where 18 men were staying in one room. I don't think AI wants us to get kept to that legacy. So it was our responsibility to make sure that we start there. We changed those 18 room sleepers into bachelor units and one bedroom flats which now they acknowledge all along they said we didn't do it, but we have done it, we're done, we completed it in 2014. And secondly, now of course what it meant, if one uh, person now remains in that flat, 17 people have nowhere to go. So we do acknowledge that about 13,000 people were left without accommodation because the agent sleeper hostels could accommodate 18,000 people. Now we are accommodating 3,000 in the same place. That's number one. Number two, what we then did was we, yes, we had land that we had serviced, only 50 hectares. At the time that we were converting the hostels, we donated that land to government so that a social uh, housing um, development can also be done by government, which was done on that land. And that social housing development has produced um, uh, what they call BNG, which is your former RDP, uh, as well as uh, CRUs, which are flats which our employees can actually rent, 292 BNGs, 252 uh, CRUs. They are there. You can go and visit them. I would recommend they go and see them because they are there. They don't think we have done it. Mm. On top of that, we have also done what we realized that it took three years for that to happen because of the process of building on virgin land. So what we have done is that we realized that the services in the bulk, which takes a lot of time, we have a lot of it between our, our existing hostels. So in Korea, we did an experiment last year where we actually built uh, flats in between the existing blocks, which was quicker because we didn't have to apply for EAAs or conversions or whatever. And we have got 225 single family units and okay. um, 100 units that are standing. Okay. AI, I would recommend your researchers must go and see them. Okay, Mr. Nkoma, let me ask you this, though. You have a legally binding social and labor plan, right? Have you complied with all the elements thereof? Yes, we have. That's, that SLP they're talking about was the first generation SLP that was done in 2008. Okay. And it was, it was based on... A, 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 you know, these things, they cost money. It was based on an income uh, projection at the time, at the price of platinum. When we realized that the price of platinum started dropping drastically, 
We revised that and also because of the strategy and we informed the DMR. It was not something done behind, you know, under the table. or. So you informed the them that you won't be able to comply with everything that was contained in the original social and labor plan? Not everything, just the housing part. Everything also we complied. In the so middle of so it, I just want to pick up, sorry, just uh, because of yeah. time, I want to pick up on the 13,000 that you say are now left without any housing. What happens to those then? Well, as I say, the new units we are, we are building, that's actually where they are meant to go. Okay. We've committed a further uh, 500 million from last year over the next four years, coming next coming four years, 100 million a year to continue building these flats because when we do them, we don't have to ask anybody for permission. It's done on our land. It's done at our time. All right, so you're building for the 13,000 that are left without homes. I just want to go back to the original 5,500 houses promised. You built three. You decided to go with the hostels instead. Are you still going to build the 5,500? Well, the 5,500 in that form that they were at at that time is not continuing because we are building... Uh, rental stock in our on our premises, and then we are working with other stakeholders like the government to build uh, social housing because it's going to be a mix. Remember, there's also a community. For instance, the, 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 the shacks they are talking about, they are not on our land. They are in the villages. And because in the middle of, of, of this development, you also have an influx of people who are coming to look for work who set up shacks who live whatever they can. But so the 13,000 13, are using these shacks, the shacks that don't have proper toilets. Not all of them are living in the shacks. They couldn't, you couldn't be that many. Some of them are renting in people's houses. Others are renting in town. Remember, they receive a 2,000 rand a month living out allowance. But you acknowledge that they are your responsibility? We do acknowledge and we are working on it. Okay. It Audrey, just, uh, your, your final comments then, Audrey? I would say many of the things that were just said there are simply not accurate. And we have, of course, gone and seen the CRUs, the um, informal settlements and all of the other things. Um, that, that, that the gentleman from Lonman is saying, um, these, these things don't exist in the way that he's portraying. The shacks are right beside the mine shaft. Yes, we agree it was um, a good thing to convert the hostels. It's surprising that it took 14 years into the 21st century to get rid of such dehumanizing accommodation. But part of the plan with the hostels was you would convert the hostels and then build houses so the people who lost their room in the hostel wouldn't be rendered essentially homeless and having to live in shacks. You never did that. Hmm. You told the Department of Mineral Resources that you weren't building the 5,500 houses informally. Lonman has admitted to Amnesty you never got formal permission and the Farlam Commission of Inquiry said that the Department of Mineral Resources should look into why you breached your social labour plan obligations. Okay. So there are a number of things there that are simply not accurate. Oh, all right. Unfortunately, I'm out of time, but uh, it would be worth it to bring both of you back to uh, maybe in the near future so that we can follow up on some of the promises that uh, Lonmin is making. Hepin Koma is the spokesperson for Lonmin, uh, but I've also got on the other line Audrey uh, Gongren talking to us from London. She's a senior director for global issues at Amnesty International.